Hello, and welcome to Never the Twins Shall Meet, a podcast hosted by twin sisters, separated by distance, but united by nerdiness. I'm your host, Lulu. And I'm your co-host, Pi. Is there anything that you've been into this week that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Well, I kind of lied at the end of episode 10 when I said that I have been reading things other than X-Men comics, because I've been pretty busy with classes this week, so I have mostly just been reading my way through some classic 80s Uncanny X-Men comics by Chris Claremont, because comics just take less brain power to read than a full book. Oh, I also did recently finish reading Exit Strategy by Martha Wells, which is the fourth installment in her Murderbot Diaries series, which is about a grumpy artificial intelligence learning to reluctantly care about humans. And it's probably gonna be the topic of our next episode. So you can look forward to hearing more about that in the future. Also, just a slight caveat for this episode, they're doing construction outside my dorm and I don't think it's gonna be picked up by our recording audio, but if you hear like grinding or beeping in the background, that's why, hopefully you won't hear, but just if you do, that's why. I'm sure our listeners will forgive you for that. Is there anything that you have been into up to lately that you think our listeners would like to hear about, Pi? Well, I've been kind of busy lately, although with my summer job, not with my academic semester. So I have started a few things, but I haven't really finished anything lately. However, I am currently reading The Gutter Prayer by Gareth Hanrahan, which is an adult fantasy novel about three thieves in this big old magical city that get caught up in a conspiracy. And it's very fun so far. It kind of reminds me of a D&D campaign. And it also takes place in a sort of a more modern world with trains and taxi cabs and guns. And anyone who listened to our Gothic Books episode knows that I really like fantasy with technology. So I'm having a great time reading that so far. Okay, I hadn't heard of that book before, but that sounds really fun, so I feel like I should add that to my read list. I'm also reading Perfect on Paper by Sophie Gonzalez, which is a book about a girl who anonymously gives her classmates at school dating advice, and it's kind of a rom-com, but it's also delving a bit into topics like healthy relationships and biphobia and stuff like that, and I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm also currently continuing my foray into DC Comics by reading the Teen Titans graphic novel series by Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo, which is really fun so far. It also has adorable art, so I'll definitely be reading more of it in the future. Wow, you're like a real renaissance woman with your book topics lately. I'm just like, would you like to hear more about Longshot and Dazzler from 80s X-Men comics, Pie? <laughs> Listen, I'm always here to hear about Longshot and Dazzler. I love them both. Anyway, unfortunately, the topic of today's episode is not X-Men comics, even though I talk about them frequently. Today, we are here to continue a very niche trend that accidentally started on our podcast, which is talking about books that are retellings of classic literature that have been adapted into a movie by Baz Luhrmann and are set in the 1920s and star an Asian heroine, which is a very niche trend, and yet somehow we've managed to create it. In other words, we're going to be talking about The Chosen and the Beautiful by Ni Vo, which is a retelling of The Great Gatsby set in kind of a fantasy world and starring a Asian version of the character Jordan Baker. I have been super pumped about this book since it was first announced, and I've been looking forward to it for like a year and a half. And thankfully it didn't disappoint, which is why we're gonna basically be doing a whole episode talking about how I think it's super cool. It was amazing. I have been also really curious about it because I read Nevo's two novellas that she wrote before this and they're totally different. They're kind of set in like this Asian fantasy world and are about a cleric that travels around recording stories, but I loved them both and I was super excited to read this author's first full-length novel and it absolutely did not disappoint. So it is a retelling of The Great Gatsby, so maybe we should go over like what our previous background is with The Great Gatsby before we start talking about a retelling of it? Sure, yeah. 
So I actually read The Great Gatsby pretty recently, partially because it's like famous classic literature and I really felt like I should read it at some point, but also partially because I really wanted to read this book and I felt like I should read the original text before reading a retelling in order to have a bigger understanding of it. So The Great Gatsby, for anyone who didn't read it in high school English, is a book by F. Scott Fitzgerald set in the 1920s from the point of view of this guy called Nick Carraway, who kind of gets drawn into the orbit of his mysterious rich neighbor Gatsby, the titular Great Gatsby, who is madly in love with this woman called Daisy, who is married to someone else and the plot is kind of driven by Nick following Gatsby and like seeing the trajectory of his life kind of going towards tragedy because he can't let go of the past and his love for Daisy. Unlike 99.99999% of American high schoolers, we did not read The Great Gatsby in high school because our English teacher had like a weird grudge against it. Though like weirdly enough we watched half of the movie. So I read The Great Gatsby back in December of 2019 because people kept making jokes about how we were entering the 20s. And I was like, I don't understand any of these Gatsby jokes. I would like to, and this book is not very long. So I didn't read it, mostly as a joke. It's been kind of a while since I read it, but I still have like some frame of reference for how this book is a retelling. But basically the point you should get is that we have both read The Great Gatsby, even if not necessarily in an English class setting like most people do, which means that we're probably gonna be talking a lot about how this book adapts the text, but also has it kind of works like as its own story. Yeah, one thing that I find really interesting about this book is that the copyright for The Great Gatsby recently expired, I believe at the beginning of 2021, meaning that people can write retellings and prequels and sequels of it as much as they want without getting sued by the original estate. And I don't think you could get away with having published The Chosen and the Beautiful when the book is still under copyright because it borrows really heavily from the original text down to dialogue in certain scenes being the exact same as in the original book, but it's also diverged a lot simply by having it take place in a magical world and having Jordan Baker be the main character instead of Nick Carraway. So I think it's kind of a great exploration of the way that retellings can draw really heavily from the original source material while also being wildly imaginative and able to stand on their own. Okay, so like we mentioned earlier, The Chosen and the Beautiful is a historical fantasy retelling of The Great Gatsby starring the character of Jordan Baker instead of Nick Carraway. In this version, Jordan is a bisexual Asian woman adopted from Vietnam by a white American family. So there's a lot of discussions about like privilege and immigration and sexuality in this book. It also includes a lot of fantasy elements, which are pretty subtle, but really interesting and well done. So it's still set in Long Island in a historical time period, but there's kind of this subtle inclusion of magic throughout. And I thought it made for a really interesting retelling because in many ways it's looking at similar themes from the Great Gatsby, like privilege and wealth and what it means to be American and the past and stuff. But by recentering Jordan as the main character and adding like this magical background, I feel like the, the story takes on a very different vibe and kind of looks at the story through a different lens. Jordan is also a really different narrator from the original character of Nick Carraway. She's like a little bit more cynical. She has a lot more experience with the kind of upper class rich people that he hangs around in the book. And she also experiences a lot of knowledge that like she's not really a person who belongs in this circle of high society and is only there because she was adopted by a white family so she kind of is aware that this isn't really a world that she belongs in but she's kind of made herself fit there and she's a really fascinating and complex character i think jordan in the original novel is pretty interesting but nebo's take on the character is so rich and interesting and adds so many interesting aspects to the novel that i really love reading the book from her perspective i absolutely loved nebo's writing 
in this book. It was like very lush and dazzling, but also has these really dark undertones and some really interesting insights to the characters. It was so good. Like, you know, when a book has a really good cover and you're like, I really, really want the contents to live up to the cover. This book has a really great cover and the contents live up to it. So I was very happy. Yes, exactly. Because I feel like the main thing that people associate with The Great Gatsby, especially after the Baz Luhrmann movie, is this idea of like a super glamorous 1920s with lots of fancy parties and Gatsby's big mansion and like fireworks and champagne and stuff. That's obviously there in the original text. There's also a lot about the American dream and class and wealth and star-crossed lovers who kind of can't get back together because of societal reasons. And I think that The Chosen and the Beautiful has such gorgeous writing that I could really picture every aspect of the setting and of the way the magic is integrated into the novel. And I just loved reading about it. Like all of the scenes that are set at Gatsby's mansion at his parties are so vividly described. And I just had really, really great time reading it. Yeah, I really enjoyed the scenes that are all set at Gatsby's mansion and the way that though integrates magic into the party scenes. The writing is just so good. And I really enjoyed the way that magic is just kind of an accepted part of this world. Like there are characters who drink demon blood cocktails or have pet imps. And you just get the sense that there's kind of supernatural aspects around every corner, but it's also like very subtle. And the focus is really still on the characters and their dynamics and history together, which I felt made for an interesting story because it could have been very heavy on the magic, but instead it's it's more about how the characters exist in this world that has magic and how they use it as, as opposed to just being like, all about the Great Gatsby, but it's magic. It sticks very close to, I would say, the themes and the storyline of the original story, but just sort of subtly integrates magic throughout. And I kind of liked how that was done. Yeah, having just recently read The Great Gatsby, I can say that the plot of The Chosen of the Beautiful does hinge really closely to the original story, even down to scenes and dialogue in the scenes and the overall storyline. But the way that magic is there does change parts of some things, like the fact that Jordan practices the art of magical paper cutting, where she can, say, cut a creature out of paper and then it becomes alive, which is obviously not a thing in the original story and kind of drastically changes some things about the plot, but it's also still very much a story about these super rich people who still have a lot of problems in their lives and are kind of seeking things that they can't have. I also feel like Gatsby is a much more sinister figure in this retelling because unlike Nick, Jordan is privy to Gatsby and Daisy's history from the start because she was there when they first met and fell in love. And she kind of knows that Gatsby has clawed his way up into high society and become rich and is like really only after Daisy. And she's kind of suspicious of him from the start, which I think casts a really different light on Gatsby because like the original book, there are still secrets about Gatsby that are revealed throughout, but I think you are aware of his history and his past much earlier on, and Jordan is like quite suspicious of him, and even though she hangs around his parties and lets Daisy hang around with him, she, she sort of keeps one eye on him closer than Nick might have. Also, one way that there being magic in this world changes the plot and characters is the rumors about Gatsby. In the original book, the rumors are all about that like he got his money from bootlegging or that he was like a spy or that he killed a man in World War One. And in this case, it's all stuff that like Gatsby sold his soul to the devil to become rich. Gatsby is a vampire. Gatsby built his house with magic. And because it's a magical fantasy world, all of these are actually totally plausible theories that may actually be real. And I thought it was really fun. Also, the idea idea that Gatsby has like sold his soul to become rich and gain a place in high society is definitely like a little bit of a heavy-handed metaphor about capitalism and the way that it drains us and like forces us to do things but I thought it worked pretty well. 
And so I just really liked the idea that the magic has an effect on these characters and that it kind of like spirals into all of these rumors about Gatsby that are even more fantastical and strange than the, in the original story. Yeah, I really liked the rumors that Gatsby had sold his soul to the devil to become rich. And it's not so much a rumor as something that the characters become aware is true because in the world of The Chosen and Beautiful, if you make a deal with a demon, like one of your fingernails goes black and Gatsby has that. But you get the sense that he's also trying to hide that from Daisy. And I just love the trope of like Faustian bargains and how much are you willing to sacrifice to make your heart's desire come true and stuff. And I think it fit really well with the character of Gatsby because in the book, he's someone who has like this past that he's trying to hide and has these dark connections that he's used to kind of become rich and kind of claw his way up into high society and become like worthy of loving Daisy. And I think making him someone who literally has sold his soul to the devil to gain magic and earn this place in high society translates really well as an adaptational choice. Also, I honestly got like vampire vibes from him the whole time I was reading. I don't know if he was actually a vampire, but I was like, this man, he just has vampire vibes. There's definitely something supernatural going on with Gatsby in this book, yeah. And it was just, I loved the idea of this possible demonic bargain and the fact that he sold his soul for Daisy because then it kind of adds this whole other layer of like in the original book, Gatsby is kind of obsessed with his past with Daisy because it reminds him of like the person that he was back then and he wants to like have that feeling. But in this book, it also kind of translates into like Gatsby sold his soul to become a person that Daisy could be with and therefore like he has to love her because then like what else is the point of him having done that? Yeah, he's so single-minded because it all has to be worth it because he's given up so much, including his literal soul. I do think you definitely have to be familiar with the plot of The Great Gatsby in order to read The Chosen and the Beautiful and like really understand it because it adheres pretty close to the plot of the original book. Even though there's a different narrator and there's magic, I would say the plot is still pretty similar and like the sort of character interactions and especially the end of the book all pretty line up with it. But I think it leans into some interesting readings of The Great Gatsby, like the idea that maybe Nick was in love with Gatsby or that Gatsby is hiding more than he's just from a lower class background are all kind of interpretations and theories that I've seen floating around or heard about. And they're all kind of things that are incorporated into this book. Oh yeah, I would definitely like to talk about this book's approach to sexuality because I thought it was super interesting. The Great Gatsby was like, you know, obviously published like a hundred years ago. And so it doesn't have any explicitly gay or bi characters, but I do think that it's very much possible to read the original text and interpret Nick as being in love with Gatsby. Like, I just think that's an actual interpretation of the book that you can do. And this book leans very heavily into a possible queer reading in the original text because Jordan, Gatsby, and Nick are all bisexual and have various relationships with each other and other characters throughout the book. And I really liked that because I think it's kind of an idea of you read a retelling and you notice maybe some subtext and maybe the author's intended that on purpose and maybe not. But either way, if you're writing a retelling of it like The Chosen and the Beautiful, then you can take that subtext and just like run with it and do whatever you want with it and change the original character dynamics a lot. So I really liked that in this version, Gatsby is in love with Daisy, but also kind of has a thing with Nick and Jordan is dating Nick, but also has relationships with women and Nick is dating Jordan, but also in a relationship with Gatsby. And it's kind of like this whole like big dramatic love triangle thing. The love octagon in this book was intense, which I think makes sense because it's really all about tangled webs of relationships and stuff. Like I mentioned, I did not read or study The Great Gatsby in high school, so it's not like I've done a close reading of the text or anything, but I do have a lot of friends that are like, yeah, I read The Great Gatsby in high school, or I read The Great Gatsby in high school in more than one case. I had friends who read it like several times, and they're like, yeah, I think you could make a case that like Nick's obsession with Gatsby has some kind of like romantic undertone to it. 
So I think it's interesting that this book kind of takes these characters and reimagines them not only by adding magic to their story, but also gives them different identities. Like Jordan, like we mentioned, is adopted from Vietnam and was raised by a white family. She also has affairs with both men and women over the course of the book, even though Nick is her primary love interest. And I thought that added a really interesting depth to her character because she's someone who exists in high society and was kind of raised in the lap of luxury and is friends with wealthy people and has access to privilege. But at the same time, now that she's an adult and she's not like a novelty or a pet, like these doors are closing to her and she doesn't really belong in high society. And she has to deal with xenophobia from her friends and her acquaintances and her social circle doesn't have anyone who's like her in it. But she's also someone who's like very comfortable with her sexuality and has had a string of affairs with both men and women throughout her life. And I, I just I thought it was a really interesting adaptation of the character because it's very different from Jordan Baker in the book. But I really thought it worked to kind of give a unique spin on the character for this retelling. I agree. I really liked this novel's reimagining of Jordan Baker. I think Jordan's a pretty interesting side character in the original text. Like she's a little bit mean. She kind of has a lot of experience with these parties that Gatsby hosts. She has a relationship with Nick, although it doesn't last at the end of the book, but she is kind of pretty much a secondary character. The most important characters in the original story are Nick, Daisy, and Gatsby. And in this case, Jordan is the main character. And by making her bisexual and Asian, there's so much added nuance. And there's like a really good exploration of the very real prejudices in the 1920s and the way that Jordan faces these, although she was raised by a rich white family. So she was just a really compelling and interesting narrator to read about. Oh, also another queer reading that I think is added in this book is that there was definitely an implication that Daisy was asexual because Jordan knows Daisy really well. They basically grew up together. They were teenagers and then they moved to New York City together. And she definitely thinks a few times that she thinks Daisy is interested in relationships, but not so much in having sex. Well, that was kind of an interesting thing because in the book, Daisy is kind of like this really beautiful socialite and she's not solely defined by being really attractive but it's definitely one of the things about her and so I think by having Daisy be asexual maybe not interested in sexual relationships although she is interested in romantic ones it definitely adds kind of like a new lens in viewing the character. Oh yeah I did catch that I thought that was sort of interesting because Daisy is a character her whole thing is essentially that she's caught up in this sort of love triangle and has this really dramatic romantic history with Gatsby but I did catch on to the fact that Jordan has this moment where she thinks to herself that Daisy is really interested in like putting on a show and like dramatic romance and stuff, but isn't actually that interested in relationships when it comes down to it. Which I thought was kind of an interesting take on the character. Jordan and Daisy also have like this super fascinating sort of like codependent unhealthy friendship because they know all of these secrets about each other dating back from when they were like really young before they came to New York City. So it was really interesting to read the book and it often has flashbacks to important moments in Jordan's childhood and Daisy's in a lot of them. So it was very interesting to kind of see Daisy fleshed out from the point of view of a character who knows her a lot better than Nick does in the original book. And it adds a lot, a lot of nuance and dimension to the character. Yeah, like I said earlier, I would say that the plot of The Chosen and the Beautiful sticks pretty close to the plot of The Great Gatsby to the point where if you're not familiar with the story of the original book, you might be kind of confused by the ending because there are definitely stuff that sort of comes out of left field, like the whole Murder Wilson thing. Especially the ending feels like very quick and like this sort of really sudden tumble into tragedy the way that the original book does. But a lot of the middle, I would say, kind of diverges from it and what that includes is a lot of fleshing out of Jordan and Daisy's backstory and their childhood friendship because they were raised together in Louisville. And Jordan was always sort of an outsider because she was like, air quote, rescued from Vietnam by a white family who are obviously like 
these Christian white saviors who see her as sort of like something to be taken in and like pitied. And then Daisy becomes her friend when they're children. But they have this really toxic kind of codependent relationship where Jordan, we get the sense, is the one who sort of knows all of Daisy's dirty secrets and kind of like helps Daisy in her darkest hours. But Daisy doesn't like really reciprocate that way for Jordan. Like there's one flashback where Jordan helps Daisy get an abortion. And there's another flashback where Jordan uses her magic to kind of help Daisy navigate the social world and she's like having a breakdown. But we never get the sense that Daisy really returns that relationship. So I thought it was a really interesting exploration of a relationship in Daisy's life that's not with her husband or with Gatsby, but still has this like really lot of depth and nuance and the way that they're, they have this long history together and they do care about each other, but also it's like not a very healthy relationship. I thought it definitely made sense to flesh out Daisy as a character through her friendship with Jordan because in The Great Gatsby, Jordan is introduced like as a friend of Daisy in the very first scene that she turns up in. She's hanging out at Daisy's house and they're obviously very close and have known each other for a very long time, even before Daisy got married. And in fact, I believe in the original book, Jordan is the one who tells Nick about Daisy's history with Gatsby and how she learned that Gatsby was alive almost directly before she got married to someone else. So it kind of, you see it from Jordan's point of view in this book instead of just secondhand. And it adds a lot of nuance to their relationship. Like there's this one story that Jordan tells Nick in The Great Gatsby about how Daisy was engaged to marry another man and then she learned that Gatsby was alive only a few days before the wedding and she basically had like a complete breakdown over it and got really drunk and was super upset about it and then eventually pulled herself together and was able to go through with the wedding but in this book we see that Jordan was basically the sole reason that Daisy managed to pull herself together and that Jordan kind of used her magic to like help Daisy navigate the system because Jordan's ability is paper magic where she can like cut something out and then it becomes alive and we see that rather than Daisy miraculously pulling herself together in time for her engagement party Jordan actually made a paper copy of Daisy that then like went and partied and was like on her fiance's arm and then at the end of the night they killed the paper Daisy with a shovel which was extremely dark like that whole sequence definitely verged a little bit into horror and I think also kind of both shows how Jordan is like really integral to Daisy and kind of supports her a lot but doesn't always get that support back and also kind of adds a magical element because that sort of thing is not commonplace in society and is obviously not a thing at all in the original book. Yeah, I really, really like that sequence because it, it really almost bridges into horror and it's it's really horrific. And it's something that kind of comes back as Jordan is reflecting on her relationship with Daisy and the way that Daisy is someone who can just destroy a paper copy of herself violently like that is, I think, something that makes Jordan kind of reevaluate her friendship. And it, it, I think it kind of speaks to the themes of the original text where it's like rich people who are careless and can afford to be careless and destroy things because they're rich and their privilege will protect them to the point where Daisy can literally get her friend to make a copy of herself and then destroy that copy and just continue on with her life without feeling too much angst about it apparently. I think if I had killed a version of myself, even if it was a magical one, that would kind of haunt me. But Daisy doesn't seem all that bothered by it. And I think it adds like depth to her character because you're like, oh, wow, this is someone who seems like kind of a flighty society girl who's just sort of caught up in her romantic drama, but also has like these dark depths to her that she could do that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, in the original Great Gatsby, Daisy's obviously not a completely flat character because she comes across as this like pretty socialite who's married and maybe doesn't have the greatest relationship with her husband, but is like pretty and looked after. But then you do kind of see that she was really legitimately torn up about believing that Gatsby was dead and then not learning that he was actually alive until right before she got married. But this version of Daisy is definitely a little bit darker because she's capable of doing things like killing a copy of herself with a shovel and then burying her out back. 
But I think I just thought that was such a smart way of integrating magic into this world because you could have just written a retelling of The Great Gatsby that it's about Jordan as an adoptee from Vietnam who's also bisexual in the way that that kind of changes the way that you navigate an upper class world of privilege in the 1920s. But by also adding that magic in, you add like this whole other layer of the way that characters interact with each other in the world. I just thought that was really neat. It's very subtly done throughout. Like it's not like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies <laughs> where it's sort of like, a, I don't know, trashy retelling that just integrates fantasy aspects throughout. Like this book still feels very literary and thoughtful and has these explorations of like privilege and culture and sexuality and repeating the past and like American exceptionalism and immigration and all that kind of stuff that is in a thoughtful book, but it also has magic but it doesn't feel like just sort of like a fun dropping some glitter on the Great Gatsby because you want to talk about people shape-shifting and drinking demon blood cocktails. It adds like a thoughtful layer to the book. Also, if we're talking about the magic in this book, can we talk a bit about Jordan's paper cutting magic? Because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I did think that was neat. So she has the ability to take creatures made out of paper and bring them to life. Like with that copy of Daisy, or she does it with animals as well. And it's not something she does a lot because she doesn't really understand it. And it's something that we end up seeing is tied to her Vietnamese heritage a bit. And there's an interesting article by Nevo on Tor.com that talks about the history of paper cutting, which originates from China and how that sort of inspired the book. And I thought that was cool because Jordan starts out the book kind of being an outsider in society. And she knows that she doesn't really have a place because even though she is from a rich white family, she doesn't sort of belong there and doesn't see other people like her and has no connection to her family or her heritage or her past. But her paper cutting magic kind of makes her start to realize that there is strength in the way that she's different. And especially the way that she encounters other Vietnamese paper magicians near the end of the book and kind of starts to look more into like her past and her heritage and other people like her. I thought that was really interesting. I think the group of paper cutting magicians were my favorite original characters in this book because most of the cast of The Chosen and the Beautiful are characters who are also in The Great Gatsby. But in this case, Nevo invented an entire new group of people, which is this traveling troupe of Vietnamese paper cutting magicians that Jordan meets partway through the book. And she kind of has a few scenes with them where she learns a bit more about how her power works and what kind of things she can do with it and the limits of it that she hasn't really explored or understood before. I thought it was really cool because the paper cutting magic feels very different from the other kinds of magic present in the book, which are mostly like Faustian bargains, drinking demon blood, having a pet imp that spies on people. But this paper cutting magic is really different. And Jordan sometimes uses it for less than great purposes, like making a copy of Daisy. But it's also something that she doesn't really understand. And throughout the book, she kind of learns a bit more about it and what kind of things she can do with it. And it's a way of that she connects to her Vietnamese heritage. Because at the start of the book, Jordan has basically no connection to Vietnam besides the fact that she was born there. Her name is Jordan Baker. She was raised by white American Christians. She's never been to Vietnam since she was born there. She doesn't remember anything about it, but she does have this ability that sets her apart from other people in her life. And she kind of doesn't really know what to make of it when she's younger. She doesn't know how to use it or how to control it. But when she meets these paper cutting magicians, they kind of teach her a bit about it. And she learns how it's actually a really long, old tradition. There's a lot of things they can do with it. And she kind of has this new group of people in her life that she can connect with on a, in a way that she can't connect with people like Daisy and Nick. I feel like the paper cutting magic is really just kind of a literalization, a way that Jordan realizes that being different is in a way her power because she's always been set apart from her peers because she's Vietnamese. And she also knows that she's bisexual and has relationships with men and women and doesn't try to hide that. Unlike other characters that we see in the book, like 
she invites Nick to come to like kind of this secret underground gay bar with her. And even though she knows that he's having an affair with Gatsby and he knows that she knows that he's having an affair with Gatsby, Nick is still like, oh, no, no, I'm not like that. Like we're having a relationship. I'm, I'm not like you, even though I know that you have relationships with women. But Jordan is very unapologetic about her sexuality. And we know that she's had like, she's never really had like a relationship where he, she opens herself up emotionally to someone, but she's had like a lot of relationships with men and women throughout, even though this is the 1920s and obviously like, it's not exactly common for people in the sense that because she's already someone who is different from her peers because of her race, she's sort of like less likely to hide other aspects of herself that are different, like her sexuality. But then her learning about this paper magic and realizing that it's not just a fluke, there's like this community of other people who are like her. And it's like has this long history that's sort of connected to this heritage that she has been purposefully disconnected from by her family is kind of taking the idea that being different is kind of a power for Jordan and not something that she should hide and making it literal, which I thought was really cool. I just really loved it. And the language describing Jordan's paper cutting magic is also really beautiful. And like so there's so much good imagery around it, even when it's kind of horrifying, like the paper image of Daisy or beautiful, like Daisy and Jordan making a cut paper lion together as children when they don't really understand how our powers work. So it was just a really cool aspect of the book. And it's not a power that I've seen explored in fantasy books before. So I really liked that. Nevo's writing in this book was just so good. It, it really fits the tone so well because it's just decadent and kind of lush, but also has these really interesting insights and kind of Jordan has this really quick wit that is basically her only protection against the racism and xenophobia that she encounters in her social circles. So there's these really smart insights into characters and the way that Jordan is aware of like Daisy and Gatsby's pasts and how they're shaped by it and the way that she kind of sees through the facades that people put up. And the writing, I think, just suited the tone of the book and also Jordan as a narrator really well. And I was super impressed by it. I loved the writing, yeah. I think my favorite scenes in the book imagery-wise were the ones set at Gatsby's parties because in the original story, they're like big, glamorous, fancy parties. And in this book, they're the same. There's also like these little touches of magic. So the narration will kind of offhandedly mention like a spell that's making magical fireworks or like strange tasting drinks or like the fact that Gatsby's house basically sprang up overnight next to the ocean. And I really loved those touches of magic. They made it feel really grounded and like there actually is this really long history of like fantasy and magic throughout the world that it's set in. Yeah or the way that throughout the book there's this sort of slow burning subplot involving something called the Manchester Act which is this piece of legislation that's being voted on over the course of the summer about whether to like ban undesirables from America and that includes like a lot of immigrants but also people who practice magic. So the Vietnamese paper cutters that Jordan meets at one of Gatsby's parties are sort of doubly in danger because of that. And I think the way that magic was integrated into the history and like the kind of cultures of the characters worked really well. I enjoyed that. Also, speaking of the Manchester Act, I really liked that this book does not shy away from the politics of the 1920s. Like we said in our last 1920s retelling episode, I feel like in pop culture, the 1920s is considered a very glamorous, beautiful, decadent decade. I mean, as long as you're not talking about the stock market crash, but like everything before then, kind of. Whereas in this case, it's definitely like a beautifully written book with a lot of very rich people having parties. But in the background, there is always stuff like Jordan not being fully accepted into society society 
because she's Vietnamese or the Manchester Act, which is kind of like this threat hangover Jordan because throughout the book, she is not really sure what will happen to her if the act passes because she is an American citizen and she was raised by an American family, but she wasn't born there and she very obviously is an immigrant. So there's kind of like this underlying tension of like, if the Manchester Act passes, will I be able to stay and have the same life in New York that I've been having for the rest of the summer? I mean, the tagline for this book is immigrant socialite magician and the way that all those three identities for Jordan sort of interact and the way that they play off of each other and in some ways conflict each other, but in some ways are sort of like side by side. And I think that this book did a good job of sort of exploring those three identities, the way that they stack up on each other. Like her, her magic comes partially from her Vietnamese heritage, but also it plays into the way that she's a socialite because she is accessed to this like magical world that Gatsby has made. It was just neat. Good book. Also, I thought that the ending of this book for Jordan was super interesting because the ending of The Great Gatsby is kind of a tragedy because Gatsby is killed in a murder-suicide that's basically a total accident and Daisy kills someone in a hit-and-run accident and then stays in like a somewhat unhappy marriage with her husband and Nick, who spent the summer like in the world of these vibrant, rich people with these like passionate backstories, kind of finds himself alone in the world again and the only person attending Gatsby's funeral. But in this retelling, although it still has a really similar ending with Gatsby dying and, and Daisy in a car accident and Gatsby losing all of his power and wealth after he dies, Jordan's ending is a lot less sad necessarily than the other characters because the Manchester Act does end up passing and she knows that there's going to be a lot of uncertainty in her life but without she can still stay in America. But also because she's been connecting with her Vietnamese heritage through this group of paper magicians, she kind of has a new social circle in her life. And at the end of the book, she's kind of considering maybe going to Asia and following this group of magicians to Shanghai and spending some time outside of America instead, which is a little bit sad for her because she probably wouldn't be leaving if it weren't for the Manchester Act, but also means that she gets to explore a part of her life that's kind of been denied to her up until then. I thought it was interesting how close to the ending of The Great Gatsby, The Chosen and The Beautiful Adheres, but also the kind of liberties it takes and its new inter interpretations. Like there is kind of this sense that there's this really sudden change into tragedy where like there's the hit and run and then Gatsby dies. And that all still happens at the end of The Chosen and The Beautiful, pretty much in the way that it happens at the original book. Like there was literally a part where the characters were all like, oh, it's so hot like out here by the ocean, we should go into town to try and cool off. And I was like, oh no, it's happening, it's happening. Because I remember that happening in both the book and the movie. The moral of The Great Gatsby is that people who do not have air conditioning get into lots of problems. Yeah, I mean, The Great Gatsby is truly just a novel about like the lows that mankind will fall to during hot summers when there's no air conditioning. But that's slightly beside the point. <laughs> so there, there are aspects of the ending of The Chosen and the Beautiful that are really similar to The Great Gatsby because like plot wise, there's still the hit and run, Murdo Wilson still dies, Gatsby is still killed. But also Jordan kind of survives this like tragic tumble and finds kind of a new community and she's sort of freed from this really toxic socialite world that she had been spending her whole life in. So on the one hand, like the ending of the book feels kind of fast. And like, I wouldn't have minded seeing more of the paper magicians that she encounters, but I think it also does line up really well with the kind of ending of the book, which is to me about how decadence and rich parties and carelessness can take a really sharp turn into tragedy, but also how some people are just protected from really having to feel the consequences of the fallout of that tragedy by their wealth. 
So speaking of the fact that you wanted more of the Vietnamese paper missions, should we talk a bit about other stuff that we wanted a little bit more of in this book? Because The Chosen the Beautiful is longer than The Great Gatsby, which is a very short book. This one is like 270 pages, but I loved it so much that there were definitely things that I wanted even more of because there were so many interesting ideas that were brought up, especially near the ending of the story. Yeah, there was a lot of really intriguing stuff that is revealed at the end of this book that part of me really wanted to see more of, but also I kind of get the sense that it's supposed to be sort of abrupt reveals at the end, similar to how The Great Gatsby ends kind of abruptly. But I was really intrigued by the reveal that Gatsby's mother was Black and Native American and he's passing for white. And no one thinks that he is a person of color and he's just sort of pretending to be this rich white guy. But it's sort of revealed at the end that he's not what he seems in multiple ways. And he has magic that comes from his mother's side of the family that he kind of uses to get out of the scrape with the hit and run at first. I don't know if this is an interpretation of Gatsby that you can get from the original novel, because like we said, we never actually studied this book in a formal class setting, so we haven't dug into like all of the interpretations. But I think it does make sense, because Gatsby is a very mysterious character. You don't know a lot about his past going into the book, and neither do any of the other characters. And there's also the fact that no one has ever met his family, and in fact his name isn't even actually Jay Gatsby. It's James Gatz, and he changed it when he became rich. So I think the fact that he is of Black and Native American descent and is kind of hiding this fact in order to pass in high society is really interesting and kind of makes him a bit of a parallel to Jordan because she very obviously is not a white person, but she was raised by a white family and this gives her like a certain amount of leeway in her society circles, but not all the way. Whereas Gatsby is white, but because he's not from a rich family, he faces a different kind of discrimination because he's considered like new money and therefore not like real society types like Daisy's husband. And so that's kind of an interesting parallel that's brought up with the idea of Gatsby not actually being white. I think it worked really well as an adaptational choice because the whole thing about Gatsby is that he has to hide some aspect of himself in order to kind of fit in with high society circles. And in the original book, it's that he doesn't come from money and then he sort of has come into money and become the person he is through kind of unsavory ways. And in this book, it's still true because he started out like this poor lieutenant and sold his soul to the devil to become rich and has some like hellish ties. But he also is a person of color who is pretending to be white and also someone who has like affairs with both men and women. And even though like Gatsby's parties are sort of like a safe place for that, he's someone who is sort of hiding multiple aspects of himself. And I think it, it worked well. It's an adaptational choice. I believe in the original book, the implication that is that Gatsby is a bootlegger and has made his fortune through selling alcohol. But I also really liked the idea that he is actually rich because he sold his soul. I just think that's fun. Like, that's just such a good fantasy aspect of retelling the good Gatsby. Like, no, he's not like rich because he's a criminal. He's rich because he sold his soul to the devil. It just fits like so well thematically. Oh, also speaking of other characters, it's also revealed near the end of the book that Nick Carraway has Thai heritage through his grandmother and has also been passing as white. And that comes up pretty close to the end of the novel. And Jordan and Nick don't really have time to like delve into it that much because then everything happens. But I also thought that was an interesting adaptational choice because it kind of means that maybe Jordan and Nick are a little bit drawn together by this shared heritage, even though Nick tries to hide it and Jordan is very clearly Vietnamese. So I just thought that was kind of interesting because Nick Carraway in The Great Gatsby is just like this kind of rich white dude and in The Chosen and the Beautiful he has Thai heritage through his grandmother and therefore like a little bit of an outsider feeling like Jordan has. Well I mean he's not just like a rich white dude in the original Great Gatsby because he's also like a war veteran so in some ways 
he's hanging around like these carefree rich person parties but he has like sort of different perspective on them because he's sort of seen pain and suffering more than other characters which is still true in this one but Jordan uses some magic to kind of find out some secrets about Nick's family at the end of the book and one of them is that I think his great-grandmother was from Siam which is like now known as Thailand today and that's not something that Nick has ever brought up but she kind of wonders if it was something that maybe like drew them together and she didn't even know about it at first. Also the reveal that Nick, the original Nick died and he's just a paper copy threw me for such a loop. I did not see that coming. I actually put the book down and said, what? Really loudly when that was revealed because I was not expecting that because, you know, we had one reveal about Nick not quite being who he seems. And I was like, okay, that's that's interesting. I wasn't expecting him to be part five. That's kind of like an interesting twist on the character. And then the book was like, oh, also Nick has been dead this entire time and he's just a paper copy. And I was like, I did not see that coming. Yeah, because his grandmother had the same kind of paper cutting magic that Jordan has. And there's maybe like a slight implication that Jordan sort of sensed this familiar magic in him and was kind of drawn to it. And she realizes near the end of the book that Nick had died in a car accident years ago and his grandmother had created this copy of her. And he's been walking around unbeknownst to him and everyone else as this like magical carbon copy. And she th I think she just kind of leaves him and goes off to Shanghai. She doesn't like burn his heart out or like reveal to everyone that he's not really Nick, but it definitely was a really interesting reveal that I, I did not see coming at all. I also put the book down and went, what? And then I was like, I'm so glad I'm gonna be making Pi read this next week for our podcast because I really need to talk about this. Yeah, Jordan's reaction in the scene where she learns that Nick is a paper copy is just kind of like, I'm looking away. I do not see it. This is not any of my business. I do not want to get into this right now, which fair enough because this happens like after a whole lot of stuff has gone down and Jordan's reaction is kind of like, oh my god, that's another thing. I can't deal with this right now, which is fair enough. But definitely very surprising and also pretty interesting. This kind of thing was set up earlier in the book with the Daisy copy, but the idea that like one of the primary characters in the book is actually a paper copy of himself is kind of wild. But I mean, it kind of works because Nick in the original Great Gatsby is almost not a real character. <laughs> not in that like he's not a person, but he's not like the focus of the story. The focus is on Nick watching this story unfold around other people. So then the idea that like the Nick that we see in this book is not a real person, I feel like almost lines up with that. If yeah, you get that's true. But it, it was very interesting because first that the idea that Nick, like Jordan, is someone who's Asian, but he's been hiding this because he's like in high society circles and maybe doesn't want to be treated like her. But also the idea that he's just like not even a person at all and it's just a construct was super interesting. But I think kind of Jordan's arc over the course of the book is like deciding to leave behind this like rich society life that she's lived and kind of go find her family or her culture or people she can connect with more in Shanghai and Vietnam. So I think she's kind of like, I don't want to get into this too much because I'm about to leave. Yeah, this book is a standalone and it wraps up like in a fairly satisfying way. Like the ending is a little bit open as is the ending of the original book, but I would definitely read some kind of follow-up about Jordan's adventures with the paper cutting magician troupe at some point. I'm just saying, because they were really oh, interesting yeah. characters. They were very interesting. I would definitely be interested in more of that. Also on the topic of just like the ending and our general thoughts on it, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I kind of wanted more golf in this book because in the original Great Gatsby, Jordan is an athlete and that's sort of like one of her defining characteristics. She's not just like a socialite lady, but she's also a successful golfer. But that's not really touched on in this book. And I would have been curious to see what Niveau could do with that. That is true. I personally am not at all interested in golf unless it's like miniature golf, which is fun. But that is a good point because when 
you read the original Great Gatsby and Jordan is introduced, she's kind of shown as like her three main personality traits as she's introduced are rich socialite, friends with Daisy, and like is a professional golfer who's like pretty well respected and is in newspapers because of this and has like a career besides just being a rich woman. So I kind of was curious that this book didn't explore more of that. I mean, it's totally possible that Nevo just didn't want to write endless scenes of Jordan playing golf when, when in, there could instead be scenes of parties at Gatsby's mansion or Jordan using paper cutting magic. But I did think it was something that I was a little bit curious about just because it's kind of an important part of the character in the original book. Yeah, I was just like, I would have been intrigued to see what the author could do with this like magical golf. Who knows? Is there any way to make golf magical? No offense to golf fans. Okay, probably not, but I'm sure someone has tried. <laughs> I'm thinking and I can't think of a way. But anyway, although there was definitely things in this book that I would have been curious to see explored in more depth, like Gatsby's backstory or Nick being Thai or these Vietnamese paper cutting magicians that Jordan be friends. I think that this book was still really, really good. It was such an interesting retelling of the great Gatsby because by making the main character a woman of color who's also bisexual, there's so much more nuance that you can explore through the themes of the American dream and wealth and class. And through the magic, there are so many new aspects that you can introduce, like Gatsby having sold his soul or Jordan making paper copies of her friends or just like this glamorous idea of like these beautiful rich people with magic at their fingertips that they use for really frivolous ways and so much cool imagery of that. So I think this was just such a really cool retelling of The Great Gatsby that I was really glad it lived up to the absolutely gorgeous cover. Oh, absolutely. My friends occasionally make fun of me because one of my hobbies is reading like acquisition announcements in Publishers Weekly for books that aren't going to come out for years and years. But the joke is on them because I heard about this book when it was first announced and I was like, that sounds really good. And then just had it on my radar for like the next year and a half. And even though I was sort of like mentally hyping up in my brain, I would say it really didn't disappoint because it did two things really well that I liked. And the first one is that the integration of magic was really good. And the second one is that it didn't let the integration of magic turn it into like a fun or silly story. It's still very thoughtful on the exploration of like privilege and race and class and like who belongs in the American dream and what you have to give up to become successful. I feel like are all still really relevant and explored through this. And Nevo's writing is also just like transcendentally good in this. It was so amazing. I'm really excited for any other upcoming books that Nivo has, as well as the continuation of their novella series about a Asian fantasy cleric going around recording stories. I am basically a Nivo fan for life after this book, honestly. Yeah, I have read the first book in the Singing Hills cycle, which is Nivo's like novella series, Empress of Salt and Fortune very good. I should go read the second one. I'm also on the topic of Great Gatsby retellings. I'm also super excited for the fact that Anna-Marie McLemore is writing a Great Gatsby retelling that I think is going to be called Self-Made Boys. And I don't think we have discussed Anna-Marie McLemore at all in this podcast. They're a young adult author of magical realism novels like Wild Beauty or When the Moon Was Ours. And they're really one of my favorite authors. We should do an episode about their books sometime. But as part of this sort of young adult classics remixed series, they are going to be writing a retelling of The Great Gatsby, where Gatsby is trans, which I feel like is also a really interesting interpretation of the character. I'm pumped. In of this author's other books, I expect that this Great Gatsby retelling will probably involve lots of really gorgeous prose, lots of magical realism, and lots of queer and Latinx characters, because I love this author's books a lot. I don't think I've read a book by them that I didn't rate five stars, so the fact that they're doing a really interesting sounding retelling of The Great Gatsby is totally up my alley. Once 
swipes again. Our habit of reading publisher's weekly announcement for books that will not be out for two years. Swipes again. Basically, I'm really glad that The Great Gatsby's copyright finally expired because this book was a fantastic retelling and I'm also very excited to see what else might come out down the line. Also, I personally am glad that The Great Gatsby's copyright has expired because that means that people can make their retellings gay like it should be. With that, we've been Never the Twins Shall Meet. If you would like to keep up with our further podcasting misadventures, you can find us at neverthetwinsshallmeet.com, follow us on Twitter at NeverTwinsCast, on Instagram at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet, or shoot us an email at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet at gmail.com.